everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Basketball Podcast, uh, our second installment. Uh, first thing I'm going to say, even before I introduce us, I'm going to apologize in advance if I don't bring my A game. I got home from a Christmas party at 5.16 this morning. I went to bed at about 6.30 this morning, only slept until about 9.30. I have the worst hangover I've had in a long time, so I want to preface this by saying that. But with that being said, I am your host, Ron Pashery Jr. I am here with my good friend, Stephen A. Lowe. There we go. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the Matt Madness Basketball Podcast. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you, A. Lowe, as a Lakers fan, mm-hmm. how has the LeBron James experience <clears throat> been thus far? Um, It's been a bit of a, I don't want to say up and down ride because they, got, they had that slow start to the season. Then you had management coming down on Luke Wallen early in the season because of the what was a three and five star or some or something like that they, they were sub 500 team at the time but um ever since then they've been rolling you know they've gotten themselves together i think they've done a good job of i think they did a great job playing together while they still try to find their identity because i, think, I believe they're 19 and 12 or 19 and 13 at the moment and they play memphis tonight so i think they did a good job of actually being cohesive without actually like having any true identity like we know the problems that they have with there's no three-point shooting on the team well spot up three-point shooters on the team and also i talked about in a preview episode back in october about them being the second deepest team in the league and that's actually shown because their depth has actually kept them out of like situations of being so short-handed brandon ingram's been in and out the lineup rajon rhino's in and out the lineup uh, Lonzo Ball missed a few games in the start of the season. Now JaVale McGee, he's out, but I, I believe he got discharged today. And so, they, so their depth is actually shown, and their depth is one reason that they've actually nineteen and thirteen, and number four, I believe, number fourth in the West right now at the current in the current moment. They are and also, four. Yeah, and also uh, when it ha- at the time it happened, I tell you, I was very excited when uh, James Jones, LeBron's mm. BFF, <laughs> gave him the stimulus package. And, <laughs> bought out Tyson Chandler. I told you right when that happened, I was very excited because I, in a previous episode, I also said, I don't trust the, the combination of JaVale McGee and Evisa Zubox for 82 game season. But Tyson Chandler was the right person they needed because he brings a veteran, veteran, veteran leadership. And on top of that, he's great defensively and a great rebounder. And he knows how to do his job, especially at this st- late stage in his career. Yeah. He knows what he's doing out there. Uh, that's kind of what I expected. Like that's what I thought they were going to have a tough time. Like the first couple weeks of the season, a lot of young guys. Obviously, bringing in LeBron is a huge culture shock to everyone involved. Um, but yeah, they're they're playing better than I expected at this point in the season. I think I thought they'd be like I thought they'd fall somewhere between like four and six, and they're at the high end of that already. I think they're probably only going to get better. Um, couple other big stories that we talked about to open the season. Uh, Kawhi Leonard forcing his way out of San Antonio. I think nobody really knew for sure what to expect with him going to Toronto. Like, what is his health going to be like? How many minutes is he going to be able to play? How much is he going to be like, How many games is he going to be able to handle? And, I mean, he's playing like an MVP candidate so far. And Toronto has been... I don't want to say way better than I expected because I had them finishing number two in the East, 
but they just I thought they'd have trouble getting used to the new pieces, new coaching, and they have pretty much led the East from the from the start. Uh, are you surprised by how well it's almost like Kawhi Leonard didn't miss any time at all? Almost no, like not, he was never injured. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, well, the way he's the way he's playing, I agree with that. But um, with him being inserted, I didn't have a problem. I didn't think there'd be much of a struggle because of the kind of player he is. You know, he's not a ball hog. You know, he kind of just inserts himself and just he play. He lets he lets the game come to him. And I am surprised about Toronto because you said he's playing like an MVP MVP candidate, but I don't really consider him. In the top of my MVP candidates, if I had to pick five, yes, but my top three, no, because the fact that Toronto's played so well without him, they beat the Warriors, the Warriors a few weeks by, by was it 20 points or they were up by as many as 20 points a yeah. couple weeks ago. And I believe they're at least, what, 10 and one or something along those lines without him. So the, the team without him, I'm really impressed. I'm, I'm impressed by. And Nick Nurse, nobody had any, uh, expectations for him because everybody's like who the hell is this guy but he's <laughs> he's coming he's come in and done a tremendous job and has everybody on that team buying in yeah and the toronto i mean they're another team that just has great depth like they have they had maybe the best second unit in basketball last year arguably do still this year um and now depth isn't always like a huge asset come playoff time because you shorten your rotations and you're not playing you know, 10, 11 guys in the playoffs. But to get you through the regular season, having 10 guys that can actually get out on an NBA court and actually play is a huge deal. And you see it with a team like the Sixers. They don't have that kind of depth, and it catches (laughs) up to them on a very regular basis. So Toronto, a very scary team, and I think Toronto much more dangerous in the playoffs this year with Kawhi in there instead of DeMar DeRozan. I think yes. DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry both struggled in the playoffs. I think that is not going to be the case for Kawhi. I think Kawhi is a playoff performer, proven, and I they were not my favorite to win the East going into this year, but I, I think that may be one of the changes that I would make to my predictions. Is like I think that team is probably the best team in the East and probably will represent the East in the finals. Yeah. yeah. Another thing about the difference between Kawhi and DeMar DeRozan, because one thing about Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, when they would play in the playoffs, the backcourt of those two, they were kind of like, they would kind of get exposed because Kyle Lowry, his size would get exposed and DeMar DeRozan's inability to shoot from shoot from three point range actually was a big disadvantage. And on top of that, they ran to LeBron James almost every time they met, every time they got into the playoffs. So that didn't do that didn't do to them any favors. But Kawhi Leonard, I think he's better offensively. I think he's better defensively. He's a better three point shooter. He's better in all in all the in all the uh, all the lines. He's better than Demar Derozan. So I don't have a problem with that. The only problem is you have to like keep an eye on Kyle Lowry because also because he also is a key when it comes to their success in the playoffs. I think like so the the benefit for him now I think is I don't know if there is as much of there's as much pressure on him to be a scorer right now. I feel like he's yeah. playing as more of a distributor and I think that will that will benefit him I think a lot come playoff time. That that could prove out to be wrong, but I just think he's even in a much better position 
to succeed the way the team is currently built. Yeah, um, Kyle Lowry, yeah, Kyle Lowry, he doesn't have to have any – the pressure is less on him because, like I said, between him and DeMar DeRozan, who was going to be the hero? Because DeMar DeRozan, even though he's a 25-point-per-game store, he's a, he's a different type of 25-point-per-game scorer. He's not the physical specimen that a Kawhi Leonard is. So – a lot of so I think a lot of the pressure we taken off of Kyle Lowry because those two were counted on to to like take the Raptors over the top. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you want to go over some of our predictions that we made in the first episode just to see where we kind of stand? Because I feel like so we're here to pre to preview the the Christmas Day games, and I know a lot of people look at Christmas Day as like when the NBA season really starts to matter. And kind of the stories of the season have started to take shape. So I'm kind of just curious to go over some of the things we predicted, where we were right, where we were wrong. You know, probably, what are we, I guess, 30-something games into the season. So we're actually closing in on the halfway point of the season. But first thing I'll go with, we, we picked which teams we thought were most likely to drop out of the playoffs in each conference. And mm-hmm. obviously Cleveland was a correct choice, as they are nowhere near making the playoffs. Uh, I said the the Wizards, I kind of went out on a limb with that one, saying ah, I'm not certain they're not going to make the playoffs, but I think that team could implode. And that seems to have actually really happened at this point. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, they could still make it into the playoffs because I think after the top five teams in the East, it's kind of an open, like a, like a crapshoot at that point. But Washington has not played well at all, and they don't look like a playoff team. And if they do make the playoffs, I, I believe they're just going to get swept by whoever whoever ends up there. Um, are you surprised by how poorly Washington has been? I am because, um, like, when they play, when they when they're good, they're really good. You know, a few years ago when uh, they met the Celtics in the conference semifinals, and that went to a game seven. I was like, I actually thought the Wizards would win, actually win that series because. They were so dynamic offensively. Otto Porter was playing well. Bradley Beal was playing well. John Wall probably at the top of his game. And this offseason, they brought in Dwight Howard. And you talked about that he might not be the best player to actually be <laughs> in with that team. Right. And then and, uh, due to some things, we, we, we may uh, – we, you are actually 100% accurate. But um, – <laughs> And then, and then recently they they trade Kelly Oubre Jr. and they, and Austin Rivers, and he goes to, and they trade him to Phoenix for Trevor Ariza, so they bring Trevor Ariza back. But that team has always been disappointing because they have so much talent, and they always fall and they always fall short because you look at you like I said you look at the roster on on paper you're like why is this team always underachieving? And like I said, I think their peak was two years ago when they went to the Game Seven of the Conference Semifinals, but they should no doubt be a top team in the East. Has there ever been a weirder trade scenario than that original Trevor Ariza trade that ended up not going through because they didn't know which Brooks they were getting? <laughs> that was so great. Dylan Brooks and Marshall. <laughs> like, has that ever happened in the NBA before? Where that was great. Somebody doesn't know, oh, wait, we thought we were getting this Brooks and not that Brooks. We don't want that Brooks. And was- how, does, how does the wrong Brooks feel to know, like, oh, <laughs> they don't want to do the trade because they don't want me? Yeah, because I was watching I – I was actually watching uh, some – NBA game time a couple weeks ago, and uh, I, I didn't I, I didn't notice Marshawn Brooks is even back in the league. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's back in the league. And, and uh, one thing I, I can come close to was uh, it's not it's not kind of same thing, but it's you'll pop for this. So um, 
couple years ago, I believe Troy Daniels got traded. And uh, when they talked about the trade on one of the television stations, they uh, they didn't have a picture of Troy Daniels. Had, like, a render. <laughs> so they used a, a picture of him from NBA 2K. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. That's amazing. <laughs> well, we don't have an actual picture, so we'll use his graphic from yeah. 2K. Uh, yeah, I. That's all I could think is poor Marshawn Brooks. Like, oh, nobody wants me. I guess. Well, <laughs> well. Now, see, I wish they had like a press conference with him because I don't know if you remember his face when he got traded to the Celtics in the uh, the uh, the, the KG Paul Pierce trade yeah. at the press conference. He really looked so sad. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that, and that would be. I would like to know his reaction. Um, <laughs> The one team not wanting to trade for him and the other team wishing he was the guy that they were trading. Like, <laughs> poor guy. But, uh, yeah, it looks like we were kind of on the right track with the East teams that would fall out. Um, in the West, I believe you chose Minnesota. And after a brief little run they went on, after the Jimmy Butler trade, they have fallen back to earth. Um, I think they're a few games under five hundred now. I think they're down to, like, ninth or 10th in the West. Uh I had the Spurs who seemed to be teetering on that last either like in that last playoff spot or the first spot out. Uh the the West is truly up for grabs. Yes. Like the the top seed is a three-way tie right now with the Nuggets, OKC and Golden State. And the Lakers and are four. The Lakers are, Lakers are four only I think two or two and a half games out. And then I even think like the nine seed is probably only like three or four games behind that. Um, both of the teams that we predicted to fall out of the playoffs are on the outside right now. Do you see either one of those teams ending up in the playoffs? Like, is there any reason you think to believe that the Wolves maybe make a run or are you sold on like that team is not good enough to get into the postseason? Uh, it's so hard to tell because like you said, they had like right after the trade, they had their like their kind of like peak. Okay, this might actually be something. They bring in Robert Covington, Darius Sarge, Derrick Rose has come, kind of had a resurgence, resurgence on the low. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it's still the Minnesota Timberwolves, and you're seeing, you're seeing why everything Jimmy Butler said was valid. You know, Andrew Wiggins has been in the league for what five or six years, and he's never been that guy. You know, he's averaged twenty points. Or so, for almost almost every season. But he's never like took you took you there. You know, averaging twenty points on a bad team isn't isn't hard at all. We don't we don't know Carl Anthony Towns is is a, is a great talent, but it, that that team just their peak. Everything Jimmy Butler said has been validated about the, that team. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, he gets the emptiest twenty points a game. He's not even averaging twenty this year. I think he's averaging like sixteen. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, he doesn't play any defense. He doesn't, like, play with any type of urgency or energy. And, yeah, he could he could go for 25, but it actually doesn't make any impact on the game. And, like, that's where them getting Covington, like, so Sixers fans were very divided on Robert Covington and how good he actually was. Whereas some people, some people believe that he just sucked. And it was like, all right. You don't like him because he's not the most consistent scorer, but like his role on the team was not to be a top scorer. His role was to be a guy who was a really good defender and he could, 
stretch out the defense because he was a, a good three-point shooter. So, like, yeah, he would have a game where he would go, like, one for nine on threes, and people would say, oh, he sucks. But then there would be games when he'd go, like, four for six, and he'd get, like, three steals and two blocks, and he gets on Kemba Walker, and Kemba Walker goes for 31 or whatever, but it takes him 33 shots to get there because Robert Covington made his night difficult. Covington gets to Minnesota, and it's like, oh, all of a sudden now this horrible defensive team is playing really well defensively. And it shows you how important it is to have a defender like that who he can guard on the perimeter, he could guard a little bit inside. If you switch him on a pick and roll, he could cover most guys. But that team just seems to be a disaster. Like they, I think they were like at 1.9-3 and three after the trade, and now they're probably 500 after the trade, if not maybe even below. Um, I don't think that team is going to end up in the playoffs. I do think the Spurs, like, I don't think that there's is definitely the least talented Spurs team I think we've ever seen, but they are like right in the hunt. And if you're making me choose, like if you're telling me the Spurs only have to overcome like the Sacramento Kings and the Dallas uh, Mavericks, I have a hard time believing the Spurs won't ultimately end up winning out over those teams. I, I don't believe that like the Kings or the Mavericks are going to end up in the playoffs. And that's kind of how I think it looks right now. I think the, I think the, uh, not the Mavs. I think the Kings are in the eighth spot right now. Um, the other team I think you mentioned that you thought would miss the playoffs was the Pelicans. Yes. And they have not played well this year. And now all of a sudden there's, Rumors swirling about Anthony Davis every other day. Um, and the Jazz also are outside of the playoffs. Would you say that would you say the Jazz are the most disappointing team so far? Yes, because of how they finished the season last well, the second half of the season last year, they I think at one point, what are they, like thirty-one and four or something along those lines? And the emergence of Donovan Mitchell and then in the offseason. You would think you expect them to you expect them to get better, but the, there's been such a drop off with that team. It's just been interesting. Now they bring they brought back Kyle Korver when they traded him for Alec Burks, but that team just that team's been real disappointing to me because because I thought that that team would have been a top. I believe I had them maybe a maybe the fourth seed. I think I had them. I had them three. No, Lakers. I had three. I think I had Utah four because. I thought Donovan Mitchell would take that next step, but he, that team they kind they kind of like fall back down to reality. Yeah, and Donovan Mitchell, I think, has regressed a lot. Like, Sixers fans were very upset with Ben Simmons at the start of the year, saying that he wasn't as good, he's not as good as he was last year. Like, he's taken a step back. Now, I do think that he has turned it on a little bit in the last couple weeks, but Donovan Mitchell has truly regressed. Like, he's, I believe, averaging 23 points a game, or 23 points per 36 minutes, but he's shooting 21 shots to get there. Like, I'm sorry, but you're not a great scorer if it's taking you 20 shots to get 22 points a game. Yeah. Like, you sh- it shouldn't take you that. If you're taking 20 shots a game, you should be averaging 25 or 26 if you're a great scorer. He's also kind of small. I think people overlooked that last year. I think he had such a so many games where he had these huge scoring explosions that people didn't pay attention to what maybe some of his limitations were, and I think that that's kind of proved, it, proved itself out a little bit. I mean... I think they are 16 and 18 right now. And if you figure in the West, you're probably going to have to win 44 games, 45 games to get in. 
I mean, you're looking at they're going to have to go, what, 28 in well, how many games would that be? 34, 48. You're looking at them having to go like 30 and 18 to get to 46 wins. Now, obviously, you said they, they went something like 31 and 4 to close the season last year. They're almost putting themselves in a position where they have to do that just to get into the playoffs. Like 16 and 18, I know it's all bunched up, but there's a lot of teams they have to pass. They're 12th in the West right now. So they have to pass, I think, four teams to get in, which I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, teams most likely to get in that weren't last year. Uh, you chose the Pistons. I chose the Hornets. And, like, who the hell knows? <laughs> I, think <they're> both, <laughs> I think they're both 500. I think they're both 15 and 15. They're both, like, a couple games up. Yeah, the, the Hornets are the, sixth, are the fifth seed, I think, right now. Fifth and sixth in these right now. Let's see. I actually have it written down. They are six. They're six okay. and seven. The Hornets are six, and the Pistons are seven. And Miami just snuck in to eight. Like, in Orlando, I think was the eight seed a couple days ago. Like, I don't see Orlando making the playoffs. No. The only team that I see on the outside right now that has a chance to get in maybe is Brooklyn. Yeah. Because they're another team that they have – like they don't have the most talent, but they do have a deep roster. Like they have a bunch of guys that can actually play on an NBA court and they're not that far behind. And I assume they're getting Karis Levert back yeah. in a few weeks who was having a breakout season. That was a guy neither one of us talked about when we talked about our, our uh, most improved player. We'll get mm-hmm. to that, I guess a little later, but I, I think Brooklyn may have a chance to sneak in, which I would love to see. I'm no Brooklyn Nets fan, but I love, the job that Sean Marks has done with that organization that had like no talent, no draft picks. And somehow now they have found all these young guys that can, can actually play and Mm -hmm. guys that have like growing value. And I would love to see that pay off for them with, with a playoff berth. Uh, Obviously I don't think they could win a round, but I I do think they have a chance to get in at eight. Um, Do you, (laughs) do you think that either Detroit or Charlotte has any chance to make any noise, or do you think they only make their way into the playoffs because everybody else sucks? They, they only make the way because everybody else sucks. <laughs> like, and I think, and I said, like, I said, like you said, I think Brooklyn will end up challenging them. I don't think Brooklyn gets in, but I think Brooklyn challenges them to get into the playoffs. I think Brooklyn is two games behind both of them. Yeah, because Brooklyn, I think they, I'm not sure. Up to yesterday, but I know previously they had won six straight. Yeah, and Detroit has lost eight of ten. And when I last looked going into the half, I think they were down 17 to Atlanta. So, like, Detroit, after what was a pretty hot start, has really crumbled. I think one of the reasons I thought Detroit would jump into that playoff spot, I thought Dwayne Casey would get the most out of that roster. I really thought Stan Van Gundy was maybe the – the main issue why they were not successful, <laughs> but I think they just don't have the talent overall. Like Blake Griffin is having an unbelievable statistical year, but they were thirteen and seven a couple weeks ago, and they're fifteen and fifteen today. Possibly about to be fifteen and sixteen and losing to the lowly Atlanta Hawks. Um, now I, I kind of agree. I think everybody after five is terrible in the East. And it's just going to be three bad teams that that make their way in. Like, somebody has to get those spots. And fortunately for those two teams, they may likely be two of those three. Uh, And I don't think – I think the Heat – 
passes both of them, and I think they get the last two spots. Um, if you look at the standings, though, so Toronto's number one. You had them as your number one overall team. I had them number two. We both had – well, your number two was Boston. They were my number one. Boston is at five. They've really struggled this year. Uh, neither one of us – I think we both had the Bucks fifth, and the Bucks got off to that hot start. And they're sitting in the two seed right now. I believe they're like a half game or a game above the Sixers. Do you see Milwaukee as being a real threat? Or do you think that they're a team that just got off to a hot start and everybody else kind of caught up to them? That's that's kind of a hard question because, like in the preview show, I stated that they always get off to somewhat of a – hot start, you, you know, and the, we all know their success is predicated on Yana and Tentacumpo. See, I got it right. I've been practicing <laughs> that. But, um, but I, I think they'll actually, they might not finish two, but I do think they will be a top four seed because Mike Budenholzer, he has that team playing well. And I, I think, I think they'll end up holding suit because of the culture and change. And the way, especially Chris Milton has to stay healthy for that team to be successful. It can't, it can't all be on, Gian, on Giannis to carry to carry it a little. But I like what I've seen from Milwaukee. They've had some real marquee victories. And I think they won't finish two because I still have hope for Boston. You know, but I do think they'll be, end up fighting with the Sixers for that three spot. Yeah, I still think that – I don't know if everybody realizes – how thin the margin of error is for the Sixers this year. Like, obviously there was some buzz about them coming into this year because of the year they had last year and to have the young stars in in Joel and Ben. And obviously they get even more buzz when they make the trade for Jimmy Butler. But, like, they had a very thin roster already. Then you lose two rotation guys for one. Now, granted, Jimmy Butler is the best player in that deal, but that leaves them now. Like, last night, they have to go into a game with with Mike Muscala starting. <laughs> like, come on. And not, and not to mention the guy he's filling in for as a starter is Wilson Chandler. Like, the fact that one of those two guys is starting for you, that is not a good starting lineup. And <laughs> if, if you're counting on either one of those guys to be a key contributor for you, even off the bench, that probably does not bode well for you. Because Wilson Chandler, I don't know the last time Wilson Chandler had a healthy season. It's been a long time. I think it's, I think the year he got traded from the Knicks to Denver. So, what, like seven, eight years ago? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago that that trade happened. I just, I just don't think they have enough actual NBA players on their team. Where now, like, Sixers fans are starting to um, – there's been like a lot of championing of Landry Shamit, who has been really good for the 26th pick in the draft, a guy you didn't expect much from this year. But like he's another guy that when the playoffs come around, coaches are going to find a way to just get him matched up on somebody and just get abused on the defensive end. And if you look at the Sixers roster, they have so many guys that are just going to be like, you're the guy we're going to go after on every possession. So you have J.J. Redick, who has regressed defensively. T.J. McConnell, who I think gets, like, revered for his defense. But, like, he's not guarding, like, legit scorers. 
Mm-hmm. Like he's another guy. If, if he's out there, you're going to expose him. Uh, you're going to expose uh, Amir Johnson at this point, who has fallen off a cliff after a yes, really he has. defensive year last year. You have Landry Shamit. You have Furkan Korkmaz. Like almost any lineup they put out there, there's at least one guy, and oftentimes two, that the other team is just going to say, all right, we're just going to score on you every time. And I think – like I really believe the Sixers are going to have a hard time winning a first round playoff series this year with that roster. Now there's a chance that maybe the three stars kind of figure it out by playoff time and they may be enough to win a series or two, but like I don't think they're a threat to get to the Eastern Conference Finals at all. Do you still well, think that they are? Uh, well, when it comes to the Sixers, I'm looking at Allen Iverson. I'm looking at Aaron McKay. I'm looking at Eric Snow. I'm looking at George. I'm looking at Matt Gocker. I'm looking at Jamal Mashburn and how well he played all season. Um, <laughs> Have you been waiting to say that? Yes. <laughs> Stephen A. at his finest. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I was waiting for you. I, I put the Jamal Mashburn in. Just <laughs> it was perfect. Guy who never suited up for this. Exactly. Game. He was just a contract. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't forget. I, I can't forget. I'm looking at Andrew Bynum in the middle. Uh, <laughs> I'm well, looking at Andrew Bynum <laughs> protecting the paint. <laughs> but when when that trade went down, I thought that that kind of locks the Sixers in as the third best team in the Eastern Conference. But like you said, when it comes to them <clears throat> for depth, because now we know Fultz might be out for the rest of the year, <clears throat> and if they did something as small as, you know, keep Rocco or Dario, the whole depth thing might be solved, solved, solved a little bit. But I don't think that team is much of a threat because as well as they play with Jerry Butler, I don't think anybody is scared of Ben Simmons in a seven-game series because he does, he still doesn't shoot. And – that's not scaring anybody. You know, after a while, like, okay, you can get to the paint all you want, but what happens when you have to start taking, like, you'll, I think certain teams will actually make him take jump shots, but he's so passive when it comes to taking jump shots that he won't take them. I know there's certain games where he only attempts four shots, but he, he handles the ball, he might have 10 assists, and he might consider that scoring. But if you don't take those shots, then nobody, nobody really is going to go into fear you. And that's like the problem with having Fultz in the lineup with him is that's now two guys that the defense does not have to guard. Yeah. Like, you, we'll give you a wide-open shot all day, and you either won't take it or you're going to miss it if you do. I Yeah, I just think they're in a lot of trouble. Like, I do think those three are really good, and they could, if they if they all figure it out and get firing on all cylinders, yeah, maybe they could make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think, like everything will have to work out perfectly with those three for them to make it to that point this year, barring like they get lucky with some kind of buyout guy that they could sign that can actually like play defense and shoot a three, but like they don't have, that's the other thing is like the guys they have that can shoot can't play defense. And then they, they don't have enough guys that can play defense. Like if you've watched them over the last month, You've seen Kemba Walker score 60 on them. You've seen games against the Nets where uh, Spencer Dinwiddie has gone off for 39 and D'Angelo Russell has gone off for like 38 in the same game. Like they cannot guard anyone 
like between like point guard, shooting guard, and small forward, somebody on the perimeter is going to torch them every night. Yeah, and, and they don't have and they don't have any assets to trade for anybody. So the only way to to actually work on that is actually look for somebody that gets bought out after the trade deadline. Yeah, and like, what are the odds that that's somebody that's going to be helpful? Like, probably won't be. I I think that I don't want to say they're in trouble because like they're going to make the playoffs easily, and they still have like the high level talent to compete with anyone. But like the rest of the roster just needs to get filled out and I just don't know how they do it. So I think it's I think it's going to be a long season for the Sixers this year. I don't think it's gonna end any better than last season did. Well it won't end, but I think like I said I think it solidifies them as that top three as, as the third best team. And I think they'll have a great regular season, but when it comes to a seven game series, when you have to play let's say you you have to play a or have them at three. So the third seed plays the winner of the Two seven seed, so they would have to play. Let's say I had the Celtics there. I think they could beat Milwaukee in a seven game series because I think Giannis and Ben they're kind of their games are kind of similar, but Giannis will actually kind of take that mid range shot. But he's more of a not more of a more of a physical specimen than Ben Simmons is. I think they could beat Milwaukee, but when it comes to beating Boston or Toronto, I don't think they could overcome those teams. No, I, I don't either. I don't think they can compete with those two teams in a playoff series. Uh, like, moving on to the West. Obviously, we both had Golden State number one. We both had Houston number two. And they are, I mean, they were out of the top eight for a large chunk of the early part of the season. Now they've snuck back to, like, number seven. I, I wonder, we'll talk about this a little bit when we preview their their Christmas Day game. What is more surprising to you, that Houston is all the way down at seven or that Oklahoma City is all the way up tied? They're number two, but like they're tied with the Nuggets for the best record in the West. If I – I got something to say about both, but if I had to pick, I would pick Houston because the drop-off from what they were last year to now was so – was so ri- ridiculous. Were they, were they 65 and 17 last year? Something like that, yeah. And now they already have seventeen, close to seventeen losses, if not seven, seven if not more. Uh, and like they try to, like they brought in Carmelo Anthony. Like they lost Trevor Reason, Luka and Luke Mute, and a lot of experts were saying some. It was that was a little bit split about how much of a drop off it would be between that team because they brought in Carmelo Anthony. But when when they got to that slow start, they tried to blame Carmelo Anthony. But if you actually, but if when you look at the numbers. They were still a top ten defense with Carmelo Anthony in the game, on the team and on the team, but they had to just try to find a way to find somebody to scapegoat it because like, oh look, this worked last year, so why isn't it work? Why isn't it working now? And you got, I kind of got to give it to Carmelo Anthony because the games changed so much from under under him, and he's kind of like he's kind of like this generation's Allen Iverson. You know, the game changed, and you kind of had to adapt or perish. Pun to mm. the madness podcast, <laughs> but um. Cabela was willing to adapt, you know. He was just like, "Look, I'll do whatever you need me to do to make it work." But Houston decided to move on from him. So I think the drop off. I think I'm more shocked about the drop off from Houston because James Harden, he's still leading the league in scoring. He's still putting up assists. Chris Paul, he's only missed five games. He just went out, so he'll be out for I think a few weeks now. But the, the drop off, I'm completely surprised about how huge this drop off is with Houston from last year. 
How funny is it? I was talking with Phil about this earlier today. So I'm assuming you saw the news that Houston signed Austin Rivers. Yes. How funny is it that with all the bad blood between Chris Paul and Austin Rivers from their Clippers days, that Austin Rivers is now basically getting signed to the team as Chris Paul goes out injured, and now they're back on the same team. Well, Chris Paul's. Well, I got a re- alert from Bleach Report saying Chris Paul was fine with it. So it's whatever when it comes to that. I feel like it's just another case of excellent NBA writing. Yes. <laughs> like they, they know how to book in the NBA. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm really surprised by OKC just because, like I even mentioned, I felt like I had them a little high at four. Mm-hmm. Like just finding out that uh, Andre uh, Roberson wasn't going to play because he was such an integral part of their defense. But like they've just been really good this year. And yeah. I don't know what it is exactly. Like I haven't had an opportunity to like watch any full OKC games, but I'm really surprised that they've ended up this high. And I feel like they don't have what it takes, I don't think, to match up with Golden State, as nobody does. But I look at the way they're playing this year and I look at the rest of the West. I don't see anybody else besides Golden State that I'm like, oh, OKC can't beat that team. I think they're capable of beating anyone else in the West in a playoff series. Um, Do you look at them at all as like a dark horse in the West, or do you still think they're not really that good? I think they could be a dark horse in the West if you if if you mean maybe go to maybe go to the second round. But I do I do think they give anybody a run for their money. I haven't watched them as much as you have, but Paul, but from what I've seen, Paul George has elevated himself. I got his numbers right in front of me. He's averaging 26 points, 8 rebounds. I believe the 26 points is a career high. 26 points, 8 rebounds. He's shooting 45% from the field, 38% from three-point range. So he's elevated his game. And also Russell Westbrook, he's, he's still putting up triple doubles on a, almost on a week, game-to-game basis. And... Right now, they said they're twenty-one and ten. They won the last. They won the last four. I'm completely enamored with the mm-hmm. Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I didn't see this coming because going back to Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, how his reputation has been destroyed because he's looked at a negative. Even going back from the Denver trade, the Nuggets they went on a run after they traded him. Uh, in the in last season, they got almost, they got almost swept. They had a gentleman sweep against the, at the hands of the Utah Jazz, and even the whole, even during the entire regular season, that that team didn't look that great. Like they would win five straight and lose five, then lose five straight after that. Mm-hmm. So now with Melo gone, the emphasis is on the offense is just Paul George and Russell Westbrook, and that's also a big deal as well because you don't have to worry about have you don't have to worry about getting Carmelo Anthony to get those shots as well. And Stephen Adams, he's played. Excellent, I think, as well. Big fan of Steven Adams. Um, other funny thing about Oklahoma City is the emergence of Jeremy Grant as a real yes. NBA player. And we were texting earlier about the uh, Sixers roster and, like, my disappointment in it. Another guy that would look really great in a Sixers uniform right now, a guy who can actually – play versatile defense, a guy who can protect the rim, a guy who now at this stage in his career can step out into three here and there. Will he a sixer? 
He yeah, he was drafted by the Seahawks. Okay. I think he drafted him in the in the I think he got drafted 39 overall. And when the Colangelos got here, they made a trade. They traded Jeremy Grant for Ersan Ilyasova and the I believe I don't I, it might have been a top 20 protected first round pick. And it might have even been like it might have been a second round. No, I think it was just a first round pick. Um and then what the Sixers did was they had Urson for like 30 games that year and traded him at the trade deadline. And then that first round pick they got from Oklahoma City, they used it to trade up to draft not Josh Hart, not Kyle Kuzma, but <laughs> the world famous Anjus Pesechniks, who will probably never come over here from Europe. And this is one of the things that drives me the most crazy about the Sam Hinkie and Brian Colangelo and Jerry Colangelo argument. Everyone who didn't like Sam Hinkie used Dario Saric to say, oh, he, he may not even ever come over. He may not even ever come over. He may not even ever come over. Now, what he said when he got drafted, he signed for two years in Turkey. He said, after two years, I'm going to come over. And then after two years, he came over like he said he would. And it's just funny to me that like the Sixers gave away an extra first-round pick to draft this guy who plays in Europe, who probably actually never is going to come over. <laughs> it's just maddening to me. And then you watch Jeremy Grant, and it's like, this is the type of guy who is a legitimate role player in the current NBA, and the Sixers don't have any of those guys. What would you rather have out there, Mike Mascala trying to guard the paint, or Jeremy Grant? I would take Jeremy Grant all day. <laughs> One more thing about the OKC Thunder. Mm-hmm. I, I I actually watched some of the game when they played the Utah Jazz this past Thursday. So and uh, they put up something on the screen, some Russell Westbrook stats that he he had a few triple doubles consecutively, but he 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 had twenty points. So I just remembered that while we were talking, I looked at his numbers. He's only averaging twenty points a game. Yeah, but he is still averaging a triple double. So and and uh we and from past experiences, we know that let that Russell Westbrook scoring less is actually a positive, and that also helped bump up Paul George's numbers as well. And I said, Russell, more Russell, more Ru- less Russell Westbrook is best when it comes to on the offensive end of the, all the floor. Right, because he's a super inefficient scorer, so he might yeah. get you 35 points, but if he's going 11 for 29, yeah. it's not that and, helpful. Yeah, and then also uh, Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder's averaging 16 points a game off the bench, so that's also helped him as, a lot as well. Yeah, I think he's definitely... More, better cast as yes. a bench player than as your starting point guard. Yes. Um, the, the Sacramento Kings. I don't know if anyone saw this coming. Do you think they hang on to make the playoffs? No. <laughs> Neither do I. No. But I hope I, they I, do because I it means say, the Celtics get a worse draft pick from them this year. <laughs> uh, but I don't think they hold on. But I, I got to say, I am shocked, and it's about damn time because De'Aaron Fox, he's been excellent this entire season. But I remember years ago, even when he had Boogie, I'm like, okay, the King, this might be the year for the Kings, and, and it never works out. But, right, it never was the year. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, as a Laker fan from back in the day, God, I'm getting old, I can say back in the day now. But, uh, the Kings terrified me. I, I'm sure I've had this conversation with you. The Kings terrified me. You're talking I about ter- like the Bibby, C-Web Kings? Yes, yes. My, Pedro, I'm gonna, 
Heat yeah, I, re- I remember <laughs> watching that O2 conference finals. My God. <laughs> they were they were a good team. They were, and they were fun to watch. And like yeah. you could make a case that I don't know if it was O one or O two that like Sacramento probably should have won one of those series. It was whatever it was a game seven and it was a, was a rebound. Two. Yeah, a rebound that got batted out and Robert Ori ends up hitting the three. Mm-hmm. Like you could make a case that like that Sacramento game. should have won one of those series and they didn't, yeah. Um yeah, that was a fun team. That's like one of the better teams that like didn't actually get anywhere. Yeah, like if there, if there was a list of teams of the greatest teams in NBA history to never win a championship, that might be like my number one team from my from my era. Yeah, like especially yeah, the last 15, 20 years, they were really good, and they played the Lakers really tough, and like they were in the mix every year. Vladi was still playing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Vladi, C. Webb. Bibby, Pedro, Pedro, Doug Christie, Doug Christie, Hito Turkoglu, and, and the like one and other the, significant the, guy I forget. Oh, the Almighty Scott Pollard. <laughs> Scott Pollard. Oh my God, very good call. He, he is terrible. He was terrible. <laughs> um, oh, Bobby Jackson. If you want to add, yeah, him. he was a good scorer off the bench. Um, all right, so MVP candidates. I had my top three as LeBron, Kawhi, and Giannis. You had LeBron, KD, and I don't think you actually said Anthony Davis, but you mentioned him. And I think you said, like, I don't think the Pelicans will be good enough for him to be in the conversation. Do you think that the MVP talk has changed at all from what we predicted? Um, No, because the one thing about Giannis, I, I, I said this on the preview episode, Giannis, been, Giannis, he'll always put up MVP numbers, but we talked about the narrative and his team's success. Right now, he's number two in the Eastern Conference, and his team is playing well, and they are a quote-unquote surprise team. So if you had to pick the MVP today, I would pick Giannis. But over the long haul, I, I think Milwaukee may fizzle out. I think the Lakers may rise. So as of right now, Giannis is my MVP, but number two will be LeBron James because of how he has that team playing and how they still don't have, like I said, a true identity. And they're actually overachieving for being so early. We're still early. We're still only a, a little over a quarter of the season, quarter, quarter a little over a quarter of the season in, and he has that team fourth in the West, and they're actually playing very well, and they've actually been really hot in the last month. So, yeah, for me, I'm like – I'm still feeling relatively happy with my top three of LeBron, Kawhi, and Giannis. I probably would reverse the order. I'd probably go Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi now. And honestly, I probably would I would consider putting Paul George into the conversation because I really yeah. do think he's had an unbelievable season. And like for that team, even people that thought they were going to be good, I don't think thought they were going to be as good as they've been so far. Uh, so I would put Paul George in the conversation I mean, Anthony Davis is one of the best players in the world, but I just can't put him in the MVP conversation right now. Um, but you do think it ends up being LeBron as the MVP? Yeah, in the long haul, yeah. But right now, I'll pick Giannis because of the, the hot start that Milwaukee had. And like I said, the numbers weren't a question for him at all. It was about the team's success. Yeah, I. if I had to pick today, I'd probably lean a little bit towards Giannis because I feel like and you may you may or may not agree with this, but I feel like basketball, like journalists, like writers, bloggers, are so enamored with Giannis 
and I feel like if they are in the top three or four in the East, I feel like that will be good enough for them to finally make him the MVP. Like, I think, like, that this is what they've been waiting for is to have a reason because Giannis has been hyped up so much for so long. You know, the, the Greek freak name and when he started to play really well in his second season, I feel like he was anointed as, like, a top ten player the second that anyone thought that they could even get close to anointing him a top ten player. And that's not to say that he's not as good as they say he is, but I think that there is definitely – there's definitely a large segment of basketball writers that want Giannis Antetokounmpo to succeed like at the, at this level. So I think that they will use any excuse they can to vote for him for, as MVP. Uh, like I said, uh, I, can say the same thing. I can say the same thing about LeBron James. But I, like, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a guy that I feel like, similar to the Warriors, Like I feel like it's like, okay, we've been there and done that with LeBron. And, like, they always want to anoint the next guy. Like, when Steph Curry wins unanimous MVP. And it was, I believe it was the first player ever to do so. And it's like, he was not the best player. Like, that was not the best single season in NBA history. He wasn't the best player in any one season. But I think it was just like, oh, this is a new thing. And let's all jump on it. I feel like, now, I I did think LeBron, that's why I thought LeBron had a chance to win. Because him going to the Lakers is at least a new LeBron story, but I, I think if it comes down to it and it's close, I think they'd rather go with the new guy than like, oh, well, so LeBron's a five-time MVP now. Mm-hmm. Now, I would like to see LeBron win it. Um, you know I'm no Lakers fan, and you know I wasn't happy about him going there, but like I do think it would be cool to see him you know, make this huge change and come out on top as the MVP. Uh but I guess we'll see. There's still 50 games left to be played in the season. We'll see how, how it shakes out. Um, coach of the year, we both had Brad Stevens. Uh, I probably would back off that a little bit at this yes. point. <laughs> Who do you have like in esteem as like the best coaches this year? Um, it's a toss-up right now. I would say Mike Budenholzer or Nick Nurse. The reason I would lean more towards Budenholzer is because well, like uh, like Giannis being MVP, it's kind of all about the finish. Budenholzer has to win at least 50 games to, to be coach of the year because Milwaukee's always between 40 to 44 victories per season. And uh, Nick Nurse, he has Kawhi. There's nothing to be surprised about, kind of. You have Kawhi Leonard. You, you inherited the best team in the East last year. So I would have to go with Mike Budenholzer right now because of the job that he's done. That he's my number one. The other guy I have in the mix is Doc Rivers because I didn't see yes. the yes. Clippers being anything this year. Yes, and they're what like a top five team in the yeah they're they're, uh, they're five or six. They're nineteen and thirteen too. So I, I think it should go to Budenholzer, like because I think that that's been a narrative around the Bucks is they should be better than they are every year. They have more talent yes. than a forty two win team or a forty four win team. And yeah, if they end up being like a 52-53 win team this year, I think that's when people start to say, okay, this team has finally lived up to its ability, and I believe Budenholzer will be the guy that gets a lot of the credit for that. Um, So yeah, I'm in agreement uh, for Coach of the Year. Uh, As you so aptly named the Malcolm Brogdon Rookie of the Year Award, uh, I believe you said Aiton and I said Doncic. Yes. And I think those are the two guys. I feel like 
even more set that it's going to be Doncic because I just feel like people are just enamored with him. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it, Doncic, he's he's ran away with it. And I said I thought Aiton would average like fifteen and nine, maybe a little better than that. And I think he's averaging sixteen and ten. And I believe Doncic is averaging like eighteen, seven, and five. Yeah, he and, should, and Dallas like, is actually above five hundred. I think. Yeah, uh, uh, I think they're fi- sixteen and fifteen or fifteen and sixteen, but they are ninth. No, no, they're not ninth. Well, they're tied for ninth. Something along those lines, but they are knocking on the playoff door yeah they're right there with with the kings um yeah i think it's going to be Doncic. i think it's gonna like ayton would have to do an awful lot i think his last four games or something i think they've won four in a row in phoenix and i think over those four games he's averaging like like 23 and 15 in those four games like if he's Mm going to do that the rest of the year then maybe there's a case to be made but um i just think Doncic has got and that's what happens with rookie of the year somebody gets Mm -hmm. really hot at the beginning of the year and then it's theirs to lose and usually they don't lose it and I don't think Dodgers mm-hmm. will um most improved um trying to remember who we picked we, we, we had Homer picks I think I know I had Brandon Ingram most improved sure oh I, I cheated and said Kawhi <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that means he's most improved just because he didn't play last year. I also threw – I think we actually both threw Jamal Murray in there too. And I yes. I would say he has not had the leap that we both expected. But now, like, if you have anybody to add to this list, I think I think these three guys probably are on top. I would say in some order, De'Aaron Fox belongs on the list of most improved I think Karis LeVert, assuming he comes back healthy, like he was playing like a legitimate like fringe all-star almost um, before he got hurt. Like he was putting up 20 every night. Mm-hmm. And Nikola Vucevic. Like, yes. That guy's averaging what, like 20 and 12? And he's, yeah, something he's shooting like 45% from three. <laughs> like he legitimately has become a lot better. So – do you have anybody to add to those three? Do you think it's one of those three guys? I think it may be one of those three. Uh, Vucevic, he's been doing that. Numbers have been similar to that in the last few in the last few seasons. But if I had to pick out that bunch, I'll pick De'Aaron Fox. It, like I said, it's all about the finish. If, if the Kings finish, they'll, I think they'll finish sub five hundred. I think they'll finish maybe along the lines of thirty five and forty seven, thirty eight and forty four. If they keep if they keep up this pace, and, but he took he's taking a leap and actually. Kind of getting get, getting that team's name back up there, like what they were fifteen years ago. So yeah. if I had to pick from that bunch, I'll pick De'Aaron Fox. I would too, because it like Karis LeVert came from. No, I don't want to say from nowhere, but like nobody really saw a jump coming. And like Karis LeVert was a late first round draft pick that had injury issues in college. De'Aaron Fox was, I believe, the number five pick in the draft. So, like, mm-hmm. there was a lot of hope for him to be good. And he's actually shooting the ball really well. The whole thing at Kentucky, why he probably wasn't a top three pick, was he couldn't shoot. And I think he's shooting almost 40% from three. So, like, if that's real, if you go from, like, a 28% three-point shooter to, like, a 39% three-point shooter, like, I think he will have earned it. And I, I think he obviously plays an important role on that team's turnaround. Um, sixth man of the year... I definitely went with the homer pick of J.J. Redick when he was the sixth man to start the season. And in fairness, 
even though he got inserted back into the starting lineup after the Jimmy Butler trade, JJ was averaging over 17 <laughs> points per game off the bench this year. So I feel like I was on the right track until he got inserted back into the starting lineup. Uh, you said Lou Williams. Um, so two questions. One, do you still believe Lou Williams is like in the mix at the top as sixth man of the year candidates? Also, where would you rank these three guys with Lou Williams? Julius Randle, Damana Sabonis, and Montrez Harrell. Well, going back, actually, going back to most improved player, I think Julius Randle should be in, in that as well. And you said, who, who else did you say? Uh, Damana Sabonis. Okay, from Indiana. Montrez Harrell from the Clippers. I think they're in there. Um, the fact that Louis Williams and Harrell play on the same team, that might be a pro- that, that might become a problem. But I love... I love how Montrez Harrell plays. He's my he's my kind of guy. Um, Sabonis, I can see your point, but the Julius Randle thing, I know he's been starting lately, but I would put him in that most improved most improved player of the year category. But Louis Williams is also, they said he's like the heart and soul of that team right now. And you talked about the Clippers being such a surprise. He's a big part of that because he is still their best player. If you if you between him and Tobias Harris and somebody else, I think should be thrown there. I talked about him earlier with uh, Dennis Schroeder. That would be interesting because he was like viewed as a failure in Atlanta. Yes, like they just couldn't wait to be done with him, and nobody believed in him. So it would be funny to see him go to Oklahoma City behind another guy that a lot of people don't think. I shouldn't say people don't think highly of him because Russell Westbrook is viewed as you know a top five, top ten player in the league. But I feel like a lot of people trash Russell Westbrook, blame him for KD not staying, and blame him for a lot of their playoff failures. So it's funny the idea that like this guy who was a pariah in Dennis Schroeder goes to Oklahoma City to play behind Russell Westbrook, and then he thrives in a role off the bench. So I, I would like to see him get some buzz as sixth man of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might depend then on how much Julius Randle starts and how much he comes off the bench. But I know as of... Two days ago when I looked it up, he was the leading – I believe he was the leading scorer and rebounder off the bench mm-hmm. in the NBA. So it may just depend on if he becomes a starter, he may be taken out of the running. But I think, yeah, it's one of those guys, and Lou Williams can always go on some kind of hot streak and sew the thing up, especially if the Clippers end up end up staying where they are, like in the middle of the pack, like four or five seed in the West. Uh, defensive player of the year. I picked Embiid, you picked Kawhi. Uh, Do you see anyone else who has jumped into that that tier as top defensive players in the league? Because I've seen some buzz about Robert Covington. Really? I know that made you happy. (laughs) It did, yes. (laughs) Because it, it was like Minnesota was like 28th in the league in defensive rating before he got there. And then after like 12 games, he was there. They were like in the 12 games he was there. They were like the third best defense. So people were like, he made that much of a difference defensively to them. The other guy I would throw in there is, is Paul George because he's mm-hmm. a versatile defender and he's played a huge part, obviously in what Oklahoma city has done. So like, if we look at Joel Embiid, Kawhi, Paul George, um, and who did I just say? I feel like I said somebody else. 
Oh, Robert Covington. Yeah. I'm assuming you don't you don't buy Robert Covington as a defensive player of the year candidate. I really don't either. I don't think that's gonna happen. Who do you like do you see Rudy Gobert still being in there? Do you see Anthony Davis being in the mix? Like where oh, do you yeah, see Yeah, th- those guys will always be in the mix, especially with Anthony Davis because he all Anthony Davis because he's so versatile, but we're in, the, we're in the same ballpark as it comes to Defensive Player of the Year. Like I won't be shocked if Embiid ever got it. I won't be shocked if Anthony Davis ever got it. Kawhi, I won't be shocked if any of those players got it. Who do you think gets it this year? Are you going to stick with Kawhi or are you going to move off him to somebody else? Uh, I'll stick with him for now. And I'm going to stick with Embiid. Um, it'll take a lot to move me off Embiid as Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Eastern Conference champion. Do you still have the Boston Celtics? Yes, because I, I think they'll pull it together because until recently they had won seven straight, but they've lost three straight since then. And that team has to, they got, they still try to figure it out because they have to, they were out, they were, they were without Kyrie for their, their, their stretch playoff their playoff run last season and they were also without Gordon Hayward and now they're trying to insert Gordon Hayward but it's been kind of shaky because it took away it's taken away from so much what that team was doing when they were, were without both of those guys last season and then you want to insert Gordon Hayward and you kind of feel validated too because he has that max contract it's kind of the same thing when it comes to the Sixers and Markel Fultz if Markel Fultz was a, the 15th pick instead of the first pick Markel Fultz might not play they might just say alright whatever He's just a 15 pick, but you have to validate the, the number one pick. You have to validate a super a, a, a max contract player. So they're still trying to figure that out. Um, I think there will be a trade because there needs to be a trade. I'm not sure who go. I'm not sure who goes or stays, but I think I think that team will figure it out. But I think Gordon Hayward may have to be the one to actually sacrifice playing time if he wants to win a championship. I'm going to go with Toronto because it just makes me sick to to pick Boston. I hated <laughs> doing it when we did the first show, so I don't want to do it again. So I'm going to go with Toronto. I, ju- I really do think, though, what a steal Toronto got for Kawhi Leonard. That they yes. got Kawhi and Danny Green. Like They got yeah. one of the top four or five players in basketball, plus a really good, valuable role player. Yes. So I think that they are well-equipped to get out of the East. I'm going to go with Toronto. Do you and have any? One, oh, go ahead. One, one thing about Gordon Hayward, if you put him on the bench, he is no Chandler Parsons. So you don't got to worry about him <laughs> taking free money. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you have any reason to fall off of Golden State as the Western Conference champions? Um, as as a, From what I've seen this season, I do have reasoning, but I'm still going to stick with them because they're, they're the champions and they'll figure, they'll figure it out. They need Draymond Green to play better because I looked at I looked at looked up his numbers before we started. He's only averaging seven points a game. And only shooting forty two percent from the field and twenty percent from three point range. That's not going to cut it because even though Steph play, Steph Curry is the is the engine that makes that team go, Draymond Green still is the heart and soul of that team. So even at, since since they are the champions, I still I still have to give them the credit that they deserve. They won three of the last four. They'll 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 figure it out. But I think this might be the toughest test or toughest road that they ever had because the seating's not set up yet. But, for example, let's say they play Denver. I don't think Denver would win, but I do think Denver would take them to the limit. I think a lot of these teams in the West, in the West they, they will give the Warriors their best shot because they seem to be more vulnerable than ever before. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Like, but to your point, for them, nothing really matters until they get to the playoffs. And even if it takes them till April to figure it out, they have a lot of time to figure it out. And if I have faith in anyone figuring it out, it's that team with that though that coach and that group of guys. Um, yeah, I, I still think Golden State, and I think Golden State wins the whole thing. Somebody has to knock them off for me to ever start believing they're not going to win the whole thing. So are you sticking with the Golden State Warriors? To win the whole thing? Mm-hmm. <sighs> I am. Now, if they get knocked off in the first – if they get knocked off before they play the Lakers, <laughs> I'm, take, I'm taking the Lakers. So you do think there's a path for a Lakers championship? If Golden State gets knocked out by somebody, yes. Because I don't think the Lakers – I don't think the Lakers will lose to anybody in the West except for the Warriors. Well, that's fair. And I, I have a feeling that is probably a series we will see. Um, and I guess real quick, let's run through the, the Christmas Day games. Uh, I'm – Extra excited about Christmas Day games because my team plays on Christmas Day now <laughs> every year. Um, after years of being irrelevant, they are relevant enough to play on Christmas Day. So the noon game, I don't know why the hell this is a Christmas Day game, but the Bucks at the Knicks. Like, who the hell needs to see the Knicks on Christmas Day? Exactly. What are you tuning in for? Uh, Who's I'm tuning in for Emmanuel Moutier? Uh, uh, who's been playing well, but I'm not – he has been playing well, but, like, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I didn't know that until I just happened to look at some stats. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah I was checking season. box scores, and I'm like, huh? He had 30? And then uh, I see what Fizdale talk about. Something about when you see somebody scoring 30, 20, 30, 20, and this is, like, his fourth season, you kind of think something along those lines about he's a great player or something like that. But I'm like, man, you're moody. Get the hell out of here. But that just might be, like, like we said about um, who are you talking about about scoring on a bad team scoring twenty oh Andrew Wiggins yeah that just might be the case of hey somebody else has to, somebody has to score and if you emerge as the leading scorer on a team then you just emerge as the leading scorer on a team but I don't know who the hell booked the Knicks on Christmas who wants to see that not me I'll tell and you I'm that. a Knicks fan I'm a Knicks fan <laughs> who wants to see the Knicks on Christmas <laughs> so how bad did the Knicks lose to the Bucks on Christmas Day. Well, I, I give the Knicks is they do play hard. So I think the Bucks win by like at least 10. So you think it's a double-digit victory for Milwaukee? Yeah, I don't consider 10 that bad. Yeah, I think Milwaukee wins by 20. 20 plus. <laughs> um, let's see. The 3 p.m. game, I think this is a really interesting matchup. The number two team out west, the 21-10 and 10 Oklahoma City. Th- oh, actually, let me say this first. We are recording this on Sunday night, so there are going to be games before Christmas Day. So the records I'm going to give right now are probably not going to be the exact records for most of these teams come Christmas Day. But the, the Oklahoma City Thunder sit at 21-10. and 10. The Rockets at 17-15, and 15, number seven out west. Um... This is really interesting to me because, to me, this kind of determines, is Oklahoma City this good? Like, is Houston this far behind? I feel like if if Houston gets, like, a a convincing win on Christmas Day in this game, it might kind of change the narrative for both teams a little bit. Um, So, like, other than who you think is going to win, what do you think is Houston's upside this year? Do you think they even have a chance to be competing the way they did last year with Golden State? No, no. 
That's how I feel too. And I feel like, tell me if you agree with this. I think like everybody has started to copy Houston style of play, which is like shots at the rim and threes and play fast. Like the end, the pace of the NBA this year is unbelievably fast. Everyone is playing fast. Everyone is shooting threes. I think that took away a lot of the Rockets' advantage. Like, that was their advantage. They were the one team that was kind of playing their style. And now everybody's kind of doing it, and I think it took a lot of steam away from them. Do you think that's part of the problem for them, or do you think the loss of, like, Trevor Ariza was that big of a deal? Uh, I can't – well, the league's been playing at that pace for so long right now. But if I had to pick, I'll just pick – the whole Trevor Ariza thing, because you constantly hear every day how how the Rockets are looking for a new three and D guy. Like I know a few weeks uh, earlier this week they were looking at KCP, but the Lakers trade KCP. Lakers should have no intention to trade KCP to Houston. There's no reason he should even help try to help them win a championship, right. or even try to make or even to play us because I can come back to bite you. There's no reason <laughs> you should set him anywhere anywhere to to Houston. So the thing with the and I like I chalk a lot of it up to the style of play of the whole league catching up to Houston. Like if you remember the the Phoenix Suns, the Mike D'Antoni Phoenix Suns, where yeah. they were playing whatever it was, like the eight second, whatever I don't remember what they called it, but I believe I read something last month that that Suns team would currently be in last place. Yes, I, I read that too. <laughs> so, like, that's how fast the league is playing. That, like, the the team that was notorious for playing at a fast pace would be the slowest paced team in this year's NBA. Um, I actually believe that OKC goes into Houston and wins. I just think they're playing better. Yeah, I'll pick OKC too. I think they're better defensively. And okay, so we're both going. I do think it's going to be a close game, though. That could go either way. Uh, and I expect a, a big James Harden scoring performance, but Chris Paul not playing, so that obviously takes some of the luster off of this matchup. Uh, Five thirty, Sixers at Celtics. Uh, the Sixers are definitely losing this game. Um, I hate that every big game against Boston is in Boston, or we get a home game in London, like last year. We have, I think it was right before the All-Star break. Or no, it was right after the new year. The Sixers had a home game against Boston in London. And it's like, why did you steal a home game from us against, like, our rival? Like, why would you do that? <laughs> and then even in the playoffs, they had these, like, raucous 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock starts in Boston. The two but in Philly, it's like 6 o'clock. Or no, it's 3, well, it's three o'clock. The two home games in Philadelphia, 3 p.m. on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon and 6 p.m. on a Monday. Like, they, they – no, there's no way. Adam Silver has had it out for the Sixers since Sam Hinkie's process got underway. He, he forced the Colangelos on us, which was – what the Colangelos did was more embarrassing than anything Sam Hinkie ever did while he was here. Uh, we got screwed with the playoff scheduling. Uh, they changed, like, the lottery rules. That, I feel like so much has been done as, like, a way to slap the Sixers for this whole Sam Hinkie experiment. Um, yes. Do you feel any differently than me? Do you feel any more optimistic than me that the Sixers go into Boston and win on Christmas Day? Oh, 
I'll pick. I'll pick the Celtics. I think the. I think the Celtics win that game. Yeah, my prediction is it's going to be ugly. It's going to be as a Sixers fan very frustrating, and it's going to be a game that they lose maybe like one hundred eight, one hundred three, but it feels like more like a twenty point deficit than a five point deficit. Like I feel like it's mm-hmm. going to be one of those games where it feels like we had no chance, but we were kind of in it the whole time. Um, eight p.m. game, your Lakers at the Golden State Warriors. Is this the biggest game of the LeBron Lakers era so far? Yes, and I believe the Lakers will get destroyed. <laughs> like, do you think they have – do you think that they can match up with the Warriors or you just think the Warriors are something that they can't really handle? Uh, well, well, all the Lakers signings in the offseason uh, on, the, on the wrestling show, we talked about that they, Lakers, they kind of copied what Houston did – because even though Houston's guys can shoot, they were all great defensively. Like they would like get up in Steph Curry and and uh, Clay Thompson and beat them up. And the Lakers had those kind of guys. But I just think that since it's, if, it, if it wasn't if it was in LA on Christmas, I'll pick LA. But it's a, it's an Oracle, so that's the only reason I'm pick, I'm picking the Golden State. And I think they'll blow the Lakers out because it's like okay, LeBron, you're here now. Let's go. We got you four times now. Let's go. I'm interested to see LeBron against that team. It's weird. A lot of times rivalries are like one guy against another guy or one team mm-hmm. against another team. Is this the first rivalry that's like one guy versus a team? <laughs> well, hey, the Lakers are better than what the Cavs had, so it is yeah. a team versus a team. But but, but I mean, I, like that that rivalry has been LeBron versus the Cavs for four years now. Like it's just him against them. Yeah. And but, I feel like no, regardless of his team, like he has his own rivalry with those guys, and they have their own rivalry with him. <laughs> I, I can't remember you're not that wrong. being the case that like one wrong. guy has a rivalry with the whole team. You're not wrong. I agree 100 percent with you. <laughs> I would love to see the Lakers go in there and win. Uh, I would love to see LeBron be able to walk out of there with a win. But I, I'm with you. I think I think it's a game that that kind of almost get borderline gets out of hand. Yes. Where like Steph is like eight of eleven from three, and Clay is like like six of ten, and I feel like it's going to be one of those games. Yeah, pulling, um, up, from, pulling up from midcourt. I see it now. Yeah, so do I. In uh, the late game, ten thirty, the eighteen and fourteen Blazers against the sixteen and eighteen Jazz. Who booked that? <laughs> I mean, I guess it is. That, like people thought that the Jazz were a lot of people thought the Jazz were going to be like the second or third best team in the West. It just has not played out that way. I, I don't know. Like, I have n- no real interest in that game. But, like, this is the type of game that Utah needs where they get – they pile up wins, but they need to pile up wins against teams that are, like, only a couple games ahead of them. And mm-hmm. they're, like, I think three games ahead of Utah. So Utah gets the two games back if they get a win. But they're just not playing well. I don't know. Like, do, one, do you have any interest in this matchup? And two, do you see Utah turning their season around? I don't think so. I think teams might have figured them out a little bit. So I think they are what they are. They might. I think they'll finish over five hundred, but it'll be not too much over five hundred. Maybe around, maybe around the forty-five, thirty-seven range. I think they're not even going to get to that. Really, I kind of think they're going to end up being like a forty-two and forty team. 
which I don't think will be good enough to get in the playoffs. I think you have to win at least 44 in the West to get in. Although with teams like the Kings and the Mavs hanging around at eight, you may not need 44. You may get in at 40 wins. Like, who knows? But I'm going to go with the Blazers. I just think that, I don't know, I'm going to go with the shooting team over the team that doesn't seem to play great offensively. Um, even though it is in Utah, I just think Utah, it's one of these years for Utah where they're just not playing as well as everybody expected them to. Who do you think wins this matchup? Is it, is it in Utah? It's in Utah. I'll pick Portland. Yeah, that's the way I'm going too. What do you think is going to be the game of the day? Rockets Thunder. I'm going to go with Sixers Celtics only because I think the NBA wants that to be a rivalry so bad. And it is, I think it's the only one of these games that there is like an actual like feud. It's like a division rivalry. Like these teams had a very uh, contentious playoff series last year. So I do think there's like a lot of, like we talk a lot about in wrestling about like the story has to be part of a match or Mm -hmm. like there has to be some type of like feeling or emotion or some reason to care. And I think there's a lot of those elements in place for the Sixers Celtics rivalry. Now that may just be me being a Sixers fan feeling. That no, way. you're but. right. Because, um, one thing I, I hate the NBA kind of steered away from that in the last few years. I think they're just like, okay, I think these, they've been throwing teams together. Cause I remember, for example, like in the early two thousands, I know, I think the Lakers played in, I know the one year the Lakers played the Spurs on Christmas. That was coming off them getting swept by the Spurs in 1999. I know um, they had booked the Lakers and Kings one Christmas. Um, and then when Shaq got traded, the Lakers versus the Heat for the, for, for the first time. It, like a lot, of, a lot of these games should be like the first time of the season. It's like, so you guys should look forward to it. Like wrestling. It's like building anticipation. Yeah. So I remember that. But now like a lot of these games – they're still like you said, Milwaukee and the Milwaukee and the Knicks. Who wants to see that? Right, it means nothing. Yeah, like in Milwaukee and the Pacers. Sure, they're in the same division. Like I know, gen- general American population probably won't care too much about Milwaukee versus Indiana, but like at least it's like a division rivalry, two teams that are good. Milwaukee and the Knicks. Like, what is what is that about? It means nothing. It's just- yeah, and like, and like you said, some kind of rematch from the playoffs from like, from like a physical series or something like that. That's why, like, you had the Sixers and Celtics, for example, mm-hmm. from that. Like, but yeah, I, I, I used to, and like I think there were less games back that back then too. There might have been maybe two two games, but now they've run the NBA all day. So yeah. yeah, I do think it'll be a fun day of games. I think at least three of these games will probably be good. Um, and the, you get the marquee primetime matchup with LeBron against, like, the super team. So <laughs> so that happens at 8 o'clock. Uh, last thing before we close it out. Do you have any – do you have maybe one, like, bold prediction, like, for the rest of the season? Could be anything, like – The Lakers make no moves. Really? They just stand pat with what they have. Because the whole Anthony Davis thing has been coming out, and they don't have enough to get Anthony Davis with what they have on their roster. And I don't think. And early in the season, I know they they were they would. I know early in the offseason they were talking about Bradley Beal. Now, granted, I'm not a big Wizards guy. I think that team has under underachieved a little time, but 
I, I'm not as big on Bradley Beal as most most players most people are, but I think they'll stand packed. I really do. Well, that would surprise me. So my bold prediction, and I want to preface by saying I don't believe this will be warranted, but I believe Luka Doncic is going to be a Western Conference All Star. Huh. I don't know. I don't believe that he is one of the best 12 players in the Western Conference, but I believe there's so much buzz around him. I believe he's going to get a lot of votes internationally, and I believe that somehow, some way, he will end up in the All-Star game. Um, So I'm curious in a couple months to see if I'm right about that, but that's what I believe is going to happen. Um, So that's, that's everything I have, unless you had anything you wanted to add before we get out of here. Oh, nope. All right. Well, I had fun discussing this with you. Hopefully the next time we sit down and do this, uh, we'll know even further how right or wrong we have been this year. Uh, so that was the show for Stephen A. Lowe. I am Ron Pashery Jr., and we will see you uh, probably in a couple months. <laughs> <laughs>